0: All right, so the last time we were in John's Gospel, we talked about the amazing miracle known as the feeding of the 5,000. And so somewhere on the outskirts of Bethsaida, Bethsaida, located on the northeast end of the Sea of Galilee, just east of the Jordan River as it flows down from Mount Hermon, across the lake from Capernaum. right. If you see... Uh, Bethsaida. Just say amen so I know you're there. Okay, some, somewhere on the outskirts of Bethsaida, up in the beautiful mountains that we call the Golan Heights, Jesus stood before 5,000 men, not including thousands of women and children, and he did something that stunned them all. He took five barley loaves and two fish. And he miraculously multiplied them over and over and over again from just five loaves and two fish. Jesus fed 10,000. That's a conservative number, by the way. Some people believe it was 15 to 20,000. So we'll be conservative this morning. He fed with just five loaves and two fish over 10,000 hungry people a delicious dinner. And the crowd, after they had eaten their fill... And they were stuffed, left some leftovers. And so Jesus said, let nothing be wasted. And so the disciples went and they gathered up the leftovers and filled, you tell me, how many baskets did they fill? 12 uh, baskets filled with the fragments from this amazing meal. The people were absolutely amazed. And it's been three weeks. So by way of review, before we get into our one verse, verse 15, I do want to read verse 14. Right, so right now, if you're looking at John chapter six, verse fourteen, just say amen. So I know you're there. Amen. And so when the people saw the sign, you remember the God, John's gospel is about all these signs that Jesus is doing to prove that He is the Christ, the Son of the Living God. And so when the people saw the sign, the the miraculously uh, miraculous feeding of the five thousand plus women and children. When they saw the sign that he had done, they said, quote, this is indeed the, please shout out the word. How many of your Bibles has a capital P for prophet there? Right? Rightly so. In our English language. This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. The crowd said, this is the one Moses wrote about in the scroll of Deuteronomy. Moses told our forefathers 1,500 years ago, right? Uh, we're, We're in the first century AD, Moses, 1,500 BC. This is the one Moses told our forefathers that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Look, the promised prophet is here. Now, of course, they're referring to Deuteronomy 18 15 and following to the prophesied pro- prophet who would one day come into the world that many Jews in that first century AD believed was one and the same as the Messiah. All right, so Jesus does this amazing miracle, and they're like, it's him, <laughs> it's the prophet. It's the Messiah and you can imagine how excited they were. How many of you guys ever been to a stadium where the home team is playing and the home team scores a touchdown? You ever been there before? Or a home run or scores a goal, right? Or makes the winning shot, right? And you remember the roar? Do you remember um, the enthusiasm? Do you remember the energy that was inside of that stadium? Do you remember experiencing the high? Ladies and gentlemen, that is how it was on the slopes of the Golan Heights 2,000 years ago. These people were so excited. When they saw Jesus heal their sick, that's in Matthew's gospel. When they heard Jesus teach so many things, that's in Mark's gospel. And when they ate their fill that Jesus miraculously provided, it's in all four gospels. What happened? What did the people say? How did they respond? Okay, so now we're gonna get into our one verse, but we're just gonna read the first half of it. Verse 15, perceiving then, and so Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king. All right, hit the pause button right there. What's going on here? This crowd, after the sign, thought, now's our chance. This is it. He's here. The prophet, the Messiah is here. And he can become our king and he can set us free from the Roman Empire. So if you're new to the Bible, here's what you need to understand. In the first century AD, the Jews were subjected to and were oppressed by the Roman Empire and they were sick of it. They had had it up to here. With the Roman Empire. Their attitude was, Who are you, Caesar? Who are you, um, Pilate? Who are, who are you guys, later on, Felix, Festus, to, to oppress us? Who are you to tax us to death? And their thought was this hey, if Moses could lead our forefathers out from under their Egyptian bondage, book of Exodus, then this Jesus, he can surely lead us out from under our Roman oppression. Ladies and gentlemen, revolution was in the hearts of this crowd. And since there was 5,000 men in the crowd on the Golan Heights, they had the nucleus, the core of a Jewish army ready to go. Okay, so let's see what happens here now in verse 15 again. Look at verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force, and make him king Jesus said let's do it let's go for it first we're going to go and we're going to kill Herod Antipas here in Galilee and then we're going to march down to Jerusalem and we're going to kill Pilate and we're going to kill his soldiers and we're going to take back what's ours freedom right is that what Jesus said in verse 15 okay let's Read it more carefully this time. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Matthew and Mark tell us the Lord withdrew to the mountain to pray, to pray. Now the crowd, they wanted Jesus to go braveheart on the Roman Empire. But Jesus withdrew to the mountain to pray, why? Because their agenda was not Jesus's agenda. Now before you begin to think, oh man, Jesus is weak, can I just remind you that Jesus Christ wasn't is fully God and fully man? And can I remind you that as a man, he was a stonemason, a carpenter, who worked side by side with his stepdad, Joseph. We were just there, we were in Nazareth. We walked up and down the hills. We saw um, how Jesus lived. Jesus was a man's man physically. Before you think he's weak, remember that not only is he fully man, he's also fully God. And he just multiplied five loaves of bread and two fish and fed over 10,000 people. Next week, I can't wait, I love this story. Next week, we're gonna see him walking on water. Right, The creator has power over the creation. So before you think he's weak, here's what you gotta understand. Jesus wasn't weak. And so don't listen to the wrong voices about who Jesus was and who he is. Jesus withdrew to the mountain to pray. And so he's walking away. I want you to, Go back 2,000 years, put yourselves in the sandals of this crowd. They see him walking away, and no doubt they're thinking, Where's he going? Man, we need him to overcome the Roman Empire. We need him to bless us. We need him to prosper us. We need him to keep feeding us these delicious meals whenever we get hungry. Jesus, wait, where are you going? All right, so why did he walk away? John Phillips tells us in his commentary. Their vision was not his. Their concept of the kingdom was secular and material. His was, please shout out the word, spiritual. By the way, uh, if you want a little help in your devotions, and you want a commentator that doesn't really write theologically, he does, but he writes more devotionally than theologically, I I recommend John Phillips. But their vision was not his. Their concept of the kingdom was secular and material. His was spiritual. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when is the kingdom of God going to come? And the Lord's answer is very interesting. He said this, check it out. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the, please shout out the word, midst, midst entos. I'll explain that in a moment. In the midst of you. Now, when Jesus made this powerful statement, you need, you need to know the Pharisees were thoroughly confused. Confused. They're thinking, what are you talking about? The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. We know our scriptures. We know what God promised to David. We know God said to David, Your throne will be established. Forever, We've read in our scriptures that when Messiah, the son of David, comes back, he's not just gonna rule over Israel. He's gonna rule over the whole world. What are you talking about, Jesus, that the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed? Now, were the Pharisees wrong in their thinking? The answer is no, they were not wrong in their thinking. In fact, in addition to 2 Samuel 7, the Davidic covenant, and right now, if you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say Davidic Covenant, please study the Old Testament. You're never going to understand the New Testament fully unless you go back to the Old Testament, and if you need help, go to God questions. Type in Davidic Covenant, read all about it. But in addition to Second Samuel chapter seven is Isaiah 9. You guys know this from your Christmas cards, right? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the, please say the word, shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, that's an Old Testament reference to the deity of Christ, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his, what's the word? And of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of who? And over his kingdom. To establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and for how long? (laughs) Forevermore. And for any of you doubters out there who think, how's that going to happen? Just know the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Alright, so is Jesus going to literally fulfill the verse, the promise, that was just on your screen? And the answer is yes. But it's not gonna happen until the second coming. And so in the first coming, the kingdom of God comes without observation. In other words, it's not political, it's not governmental, it's not geographical, it's not material. But in the second coming, you betcha, it's gonna be very political, very governmental, very geographical, it is going to be very material. And in fact, in Revelation chapter one, verse seven, the Bible says that every eye will see Jesus, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. And so, of course, that verse is the second coming, but regarding his first coming, Jesus told the Pharisees this, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst, entos, of you. All right, so the Greek word entos literally means within, within inside in the midst of you. Now who was Jesus talking to? He was talking to the Pharisees and I guarantee you 100% sure the kingdom of God was not in those self-righteous Pharisees. But because the king was standing in front of them and because wherever the king is, the kingdom is, the kingdom of God was in the midst of those Pharisees. But how sad because of their pride, they missed their king and they missed their kingdom. But the good news, ladies and gentlemen, for those who would receive Jesus is this. After he paid for the sins of the world on the cross, After he rose from the dead the third day, defeating sin, Satan, and death, and hell, after he ascended to the right hand of the Father, guess what happened? When the sun went up, you guys know the answer to this, shout it out. When the sun went up, who came down? The Holy Spirit. How many of you guys are grateful for the Holy Spirit of God? So grateful. And so when Peter stood there, at the temple, on the courts of the temple, on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago, and he preached the good news of Jesus. What happened in Acts 2? 3,000 people turned to Jesus Christ in genuine repentance and faith. And what happened? The Holy Spirit of God came into them, and the church was born. I love that. I get excited about that. You say, why, pastor? Because God called me to be a pastor of a church. That's why. The church was born on the day of Pentecost. And there were churches established all around the Roman Empire. Church of Ephesus, Church of Colossae, Church of Thessalonica, Church of Philippi. And it's been going on and on and on for 2,000 years. And guess what? Here we are. We got a church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. (laughs) Praise God. And you need to know this. The church has got a bum rap in the culture. And by the way, in part, we deserve it. A lot of our leaders have fallen. A lot of our leaders have embarrassed the church. But here's what you need to know. The church is still the bride of Christ. And Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will never prevail against it. It's going to continue to grow. And so the good news is this. If you're here today or if you're watching and you don't have a relationship, can you guys say relationship, please? It's not a religion. It's a relationship. And if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the same thing that happened to those 3,000 people 2,000 years ago can happen to you. It can happen today. If, it's a big if, you'll respond to the gospel. And if... It's a big if. You will turn, truly turn to Jesus Christ in genuine repentance and faith, receiving him as the Savior and Lord of your life. Ladies and gentlemen, the Spirit of God will descend within you and abide in you forever. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within, inside, in the midst of you. And so as we're waiting for the second coming of Christ and the physical kingdom, we gotta realize that the kingdom right now is a spiritual kingdom. Can you guys please say the word spiritual? Spiritual. It's a spiritual kingdom. What does that mean? That means that it starts inside of us with the new birth. Scares me to death, but so many people go to church. They've never been born again, and they die and they go to hell. Jesus says, I never knew you. It's not religion. It's relationship. And it starts with being born again by the Spirit of God. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from meritorious works. And what happens is that somebody becomes born again and then what happens? What is the current kingdom all about? What is it not about? This is how I'm gonna go for the rest of the message. I'm gonna make it crystal, crystal, crystal clear for you guys. What is the kingdom about? What is the kingdom not about? Let's start with what it's not about. As we're waiting for the second coming, you need to know the current kingdom isn't about the secular and the material. Okay, And so it's not about, the the kingdom is not about using Jesus to advance our own materialistic agenda. Here's what I mean about that. The crowd in verse 15, they wanted to take Jesus by force and they wanted to make him their king. In other words, if you're listening, say amen here. They wanted to use Jesus to advance their own agenda, their own materialistic agenda. They wanted to use Jesus so he would bless them in a material way. But ladies and gentlemen, the kingdom is not about using Jesus to advance our own materialistic agenda. All right, so let's do a heart check here this morning. Like the crowd, have you tried to make Jesus the Lord of your life so you can use him to advance your own selfish, materialistic agenda? Now I'm gonna say that again and I really, I really just want you guys to put the defensive walls down. I really want you guys to just open up your heart to the Lord and just be honest with yourself. So the question again is this, like the crowd, are you trying to make Jesus the Lord of your life so you can use him to advance your own self-centered materialistic agenda? So you can name it and claim it. So you can be blessed with health and wealth and prosperity. So that you can receive power and prestige and position. Jesus, I want you to be my king because I wanna use you to advance my agenda. Jesus, the culture tells me I can be whoever I wanna be and so I'm choosing to do this and I'm gonna start going to church and hanging out um, with, 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 with you because I really want you to bless me in what I've decided to do and I want you to bless me materialistically. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. If that's your motive, if that's your attitude, you're gonna soon discover what the crowd discovered, and that is that your agenda is not the Lord's agenda. In fact, he's walking away. Jesus, where are you going? I just want you to bless me and what I've, I've decided to do here. And he says, I'm going up on the mountain to pray for you because I love you, and you have no idea what the kingdom is about. And so I wanna be super crystal clear about what the kingdom is not about and what it is about. The kingdom of God is not about our personal health, wealth, and prosperity. The kingdom of God is not about our personal power, position, and prestige. Some of you guys need to do yourself a favor and turn off that so-called Christian television program. Stop listening to it. The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is a poison that's entering into churches more and more and more. And people are sitting in these churches and they're not even hearing the gospel of grace. All they're hearing about is how I can use Jesus so I can be blessed, so I can do what I wanna do and he's gonna bless me. And people are sitting in these churches and they're not even saved. And we gotta get back to the gospel and we gotta get back to what the kingdom of God is all about. Now don't get me wrong. Question, is there anything wrong with being healthy? Yes or no? No. No. Of course there's nothing wrong with being healthy. And if you're sick, yes, it's totally appropriate to go to Jesus and ask for his healing question. Think about it before you answer. Is there anything wrong with being wealthy? No. You read through the Bible, you see a a lot of different people who are godly, wealthy people regarding money. Here's the question right here. Do you possess wealth or does wealth possess you? That's the question. And so there's a big difference between a godly Christian who possesses money and material things and a carnal Christian who is possessed by the desire to selfishly accumulate more and more money and more and more material things. How do you know the difference, pastor? One possesses wealth. The other is possessed by getting more and more wealth. The godly Christian is driven by Christ. And his word: the carnal Christian is driven by comfort and my wealth. There is a big difference between those two. And by the way, when I say carnal Christian," I understand Christians can backslide. And by the way, Christians are capable of, of, of sinning in horrible, horrible ways. But here's what I think. Some carnal Christians, they think they're saved, but they, they've never been born again. That's a whole nother different sermon. But do you guys see the difference here? One is driven by Christ and his word. The other is driven by comfort and wealth. My comfort, my happiness, my agenda. The godly Christian is a giver. The carnal Christian is a taker. The carnal Christian is materialistic. Jesus said this in Luke 12, 15 Take care and be on your guard against all. Please shout out the word covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's just going to leave you empty. And these are the words of the king. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And right after Jesus made That statement, he said this, and I quote, "'The land of a rich man produced plentifully, "'and he thought to himself, what shall I do? "'For I have nowhere to store my crops.' "'And he said, I will do this. "'I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, "'and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. "'And I will say to my soul, "'Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years.'" Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. This guy was obviously an American. <laughs> Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. But God said to him, anybody want to hear what God said to him? Here you go. Are you ready for this? Fool. Full. This night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And then Jesus said, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. During Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, the devil, you know this, took him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And then the devil Said this to Jesus To you will I give all this. And guys, can you say it like you mean it? But just read what's underlined. Go ahead. Authority and glory. Now, is that not our culture or what? To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me. By the way, the devil wasn't lying. Adam delivered it to him at the fall. How many of you guys are, sec- are, are happy for the fact that the second Adam's coming back to take back what's his? It has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will, if you then will, let's all just go, blah, throw up right now. How vile is this? By the way, the devil is vicious. But he wants Jesus to worship him, are you kidding me? He wants the creator to worship the creature? If you then will worship me, it'll all be yours. And see, that's what all, so many people are about. They're all about their authority, their glory, their power, their position, their prestige. But I want you to see how the Lord answered him. Here you go. Jesus said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Amen. Okay? So it's super simple. We're not supposed to be driven by gold. We're supposed to be driven by God. We're not supposed to be driven by our own glory. We're supposed to be driven by the glory of God. That whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, everything that we should do should be to the glory of God. That's how we live as citizens of the kingdom. That's what we do. We are to be centered on God, focused on God, and worshiping and serving God alone. I was so blessed on Friday night to sit right there during our eighth grade graduation. And I was so blessed to hear some of these kids in their speeches, some of these students in their speeches, talking about the need to put God first. Eighth graders, ladies and gentlemen, that doesn't just happen. You know why that happens? Because parents are pouring Christ and His Word into their kids, and we got a school across the street that's not only giving them an excellent education, but it's giving them a biblical worldview five days a week. It doesn't just happen. And I think. God for what he's doing the last 18 years on this side of the street and now on that side of the street because the Holy Spirit through part of the bad English, all y'all and me, God is changing lives. That's what it's about. That's why we live. We want to see him continue to work. It is a big deal and we should get excited about it. And so I want you to be honest with yourself are you more secular or are you more spiritual are you more focused on hollywood stars or the savior of the world right i can't stop reading about these hollywood stars it's just so engaging right and then you see a movie star and it's like ah, oh oh can i have your autograph please and then someone the next weekend says, hey man, you wanna to go to church and learn about Jesus? Uh, I'm actually gonna to go to the beach this weekend, but. Mm. You say, man, whenever I come to Calvary, it's so challenging. Well, here's what you need to know. I'm your pastor, and part of being a pastor means that I'm your coach. So when I go in the locker room, it's my job to rev you up so you can go on the field and win. That's what I'm called to do. We're not playing games here. This is real. There's only one life, it'll soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ is gonna last. Stop listening to the culture. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what we do. And so yeah, I'm asking the question. Are you more into Hollywood stars or the savior of the world? Are you more into the stock market or the scriptures? I'm not talking about those of you who work in finance, I know that's your job, okay? I'm talking about the rest of us. Are we checking our stocks more than we're opening the scriptures? We should think about these things. We should evaluate our hearts. Are you more about the culture or the church? Yeah, I go to church, about twice a month, check the box. Oh, okay, are you connecting, are you growing, are you investing, giving, and serving? Um, I think I gotta go. And listen, I'm gonna say it again politely, I understand that watching online is so important for people who don't live in the Port St. Lucie area, people who are sick, Right For people who um, are immunocompromised and you're still being cautious, I respect that. Right, Um, Some of the elderly, I respect that. But listen, if you got comfortable sitting on your couch and doing church online, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna change the words this week. I haven't even told anybody this, so Pastor Will, Pastor Lee, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna change the words church online to watch online because sitting at your house, that's not church. Church is not receiving. Church is coming and giving. It's serving. You have something to give. It's not about always being poured into. It's about being poured into and then coming and serving and pouring into other people. That's the church. I have no idea where I'm at in my notes, but anyway. All right, so we've discovered what the kingdom is not about. So what is it about? Here you go, right here. Next point. The kingdom is about following Jesus to advance his spiritual agenda. Now, you can't follow Jesus till you meet Jesus. And that's why I'm always sharing the gospel. So I'm always encouraging you guys, man, if you don't know Christ, turn to him in repentance and faith, please. Please. Why? Because that's when you're born again. That's where it all starts. And so when we're born again, the king comes inside of us and that results in evidence. Can you guys shout out the word evidence, right? And so evidence that he is reigning in our lives. So what does that look like? Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not material. It's a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. People say, man, I can't turn to Christ in repentance and faith. I'll be miserable the rest of my life. Are you kidding me? Did you just see what happens here? When the king comes in, he changes your heart, he changes your life, he gives you righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I guarantee you, Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer. And his joy is better than any happiness you'll ever get in the world. And so as citizens of the kingdom, we walk in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And as citizens of the kingdom, we obey the king. All right, so I'm gonna wrap this up by quickly going through some of the king's instructions in the Sermon on the Mount. So we're done in John 6, and we're gonna go right now to Matthew chapter 5. Here's my agenda here in these last uh, five, six, seven minutes. Okay, here's my agenda. I just want to give you a taste of the king's instructions and what the kingdom is about now. And we're gonna just go through quickly the Beatitudes. The king's instructions continues on. But check it out. If you're looking at Matthew 5, verse one, say amen here. Seeing the crowds, he went up, on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, now he goes blessed, 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 blessed. And so the Beatitudes, if you're taking notes, tells us how we can be truly blessed. What does that mean? That means happy, but because of our American, my happiness is based on my circumstances, wrong definition, I had to add the word joyful. And so the Beatitudes, right? Where does that word come from? Beatitudes. It means blessed. In the Latin, the word for blessed is beatus, and that's where we get the word English word beatitudes. Blessed, 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 blessed. In other words, joyful, 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 joyful. All right, so verse three. Blessed are the, please shout out the next three words. That's where it all starts. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means spiritually bankrupt. If a sinner wants to be reconciled to their creator, they gotta come to the point where they realize there's nothing that I can do to earn my spot in heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no good work you can ever do to earn heaven. For by grace are we saved through faith and it's not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You gotta to come to the place of spiritual bankruptcy, of humility, where you realize that, hey, there's no good deeds I can ever do. I'm a sinner, the penalty of sin is death and I need a savior and thank God Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners like me. Thank God he died and paid for my sins on the cross. Thank God he rose from the grave. Thank God he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And I know I'm spiritually bankrupt. There's nothing I can do. But here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. Trusting that what he did on the cross was for me. Believing he rose again. Inviting him to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And the king comes in. Verse four. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The word mourn means to lament. The idea has to do with godly sorrow over our sin. And so Paul wrote in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 7.10, godly sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly sorrow produces death. And so when we turn to Christ in repentance, yes, there's joy, because Jesus is all about joy and Jesus is all about forgiveness and we're getting a relationship with him, but there's also sorrow. There's sorrow over our sin. We realize our sin is wrong, we realize our sin offends God, we realize we need forgiveness. And so blessed are those, Jesus says, who mourn. I love this quote from John MacArthur. Unbelievers repent of their sin initially when they are saved. And then as believers, repent of their sins continually to keep the joy and blessing of their relationship with God. And so my concern for some of you, and I believe the Lord led me to say this, okay? So I don't know who I'm talking to, what service, whether you're here or you're watching online, but this is what I believe the Lord led me to say to you This weekend. And that is, there's some of you who are out there and you think you are saved, but you're not. Because you haven't truly turned to Jesus Christ in genuine repentance and faith. My encouragement to you get saved today. My other concern is that some of you are Christians and you, as Dr. MacArthur said, are not continually repenting of your sin, and that's why you've lost, not your salvation, you've lost the joy and blessing of your relationship, your fellowship with God, your sweet fellowship with the Lord. My encouragement to you, rededicate your life to Jesus today. It says in verse five, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meekness is not weakness. What's meekness mean? It means self-control. Meekness is not weakness, it's power under control. You've heard this, right? Think of the big, beautiful stallion running wild in the meadow until the cowboy comes and lassos it, takes it to his corral, and then breaks it in. Is that animal still big, beautiful, and awesome? Yeah, but now it's meek. What does that mean? It yields to its master. The master pulls the rein right, the stallion goes right. The master pulls the rein left, the stallion goes left. Stop fighting against the master. Yield to him. He's the boss. Blessed are the meek. And then in verse six, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Here's what I know. In my BC days, I wasn't sorry for my sin. I loved my sin. I loved my sin, and I did my sin, and I had no guilt about my sin. But after I came to know Jesus, the Holy Spirit did a work in my heart, and he's continuing that work, and here's what I know. Now I hunger and thirst for righteousness like a person who hasn't eaten all day hungers and thirsts for food. And you guys who are born again Christians, you know the same thing is true in your life. None of us are perfect, but we wanna do what's right. It's a work of the Lord. Blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. Right now, if you've been hurt or offended by somebody and you're withdrawing forgiveness and mercy, here's what I want you to do. If you're listening, say amen here. I want you to think about how merciful and forgiving God has been to you and go and do likewise, make it right. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. What's the key to outward purity? The key to outward purity is inward purity. What does that mean? That means we don't allow impure thoughts into our mind and heart. If we don't allow impure thoughts into our minds and hearts, it'll never work its way out in our actions. Martin Luther said, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop that bird from building a nest in your hair. So stop letting the impure thoughts make a bed in your head. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Then you'll never have to worry about doing something that's so dumb outwardly that you embarrass yourself and hurt the people that you love. Blessed, he says, are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The best way to be a peacemaker is you take the hand of the Father, you take the hand of a friend, and you join them together. You say, how do you do that? Tell them about Jesus, the Prince of Peace, because he's the only one who can reconcile us with the Father. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. By the way, if you live this way, like citizens of the kingdom, you're going to get persecuted. So what should I do? Stomp my feet and cry? No. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Ladies and gentlemen, here's what I want you to know. The Beatitudes are just a small part of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. The King's instructions continue all the way through chapter five, all the way through chapter six, all the way through chapter seven. I wanna encourage you, please stay with me till I'm done. I wanna encourage you to read it, reread it, and read it again. Why? Because it tells you how citizens of the kingdom live. And so, in closing, what is the kingdom not about? It's not about using Jesus to advance our own materialistic agenda. Don't be like the crowd in John 6, 15. What is the kingdom about? Real clear, real simple. It's about following Jesus to advance his spiritual agenda. Where is that found? Sermon on the Mount and the rest of the New Testament. But before you follow Jesus, you need to become born again. If you're not sure whether or not you've been born again after Pastor Will closes in prayer, please come up and please talk to one of the ministry team members. They'll make it very clear from the Bible. Um, If you're watching at home, go to Knowing Christ page. The gospel of grace is there. Here's the last thing I wanna say and that is this. I want you to dream with me for just a moment. What if everyone in the world turned to Jesus Christ in genuine repentance and faith? What happens? The king comes in. And what if they spent the rest of their lives living out the Sermon on the Mount in the power of the Holy Spirit? What would happen Lots of things. Revival in the church, spiritual awakening in our communities, marriages restored, kids growing up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But here's one thing that would definitely happen. If you're with me, say amen here. We would stop reading all of the horrific, heartbreaking headlines that we read in the newspaper and online. It would be gone. If everybody turned to Jesus Christ in genuine repentance and faith, and then in the power of the spirit lived out the sermon on the mount the media would have nothing to report except for good things and that's a fact ladies and gentlemen we have the answer his name is Jesus Christ don't ever be ashamed of him don't ever be embarrassed of, of him make sure you're sharing him with others he is The answer. The question is which kingdom will you be part of?